This is Jim Ross, and you're listening to Cajun Strong Style. This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. I mean, we got so many ways to listen to us online through all the podcast gimmicks at 1037thegame.com. Appreciate it as per the use. But now let's get into some brass tacks. We're not going to do the three count. The three count gimmick's been, you know, it's not retired. It's on hiatus. I feel like changing the show up a little bit. And you'll notice that at least somewhat with our guest. And that is our guy. I'm absolutely, I love the fact he comes on all the time. Talk NXT TakeOver. That's Harry Broadhurst. We'll, we'll have him on in a little bit. But I want to talk about something that happened last Wednesday. I almost did a bonus podcast. I said, screw it. I'm not doing a bonus podcast. I'm going to drop a brand new episode with this NXT TakeOver preview. Wanted to get some other stuff as well. It didn't work out. This week has been an absolute mess in terms of just schedule. But, you know, it is what it is. Thankfully, Dynamite isn't tonight, so you got plenty of stuff to listen to in lieu of no AW Dynamite this week, at least not till Friday. Hopefully I'll wind up watching that for a change. But the WWE announced a lot of releases over the last week, and they were they were definitely like tons more shocking than the stuff we got back after WrestleMania, like Mickey James, Samoa Joe, Peyton Royce, and Billy Kay. Those were shocking, but not necessarily to the same level some of these guys, namely the big two, Braun Strowman and Aleister Black. There's no doubt in my mind those two are absolute megastars in the WWE, and it blew my mind, that though, especially Braun, because Braun was just in a semi-main event just a month ago. Think about that. You just had a freaking pay-per-view, WrestleMania Backlash, where you had the zombie filming of, of, or the, that match it was a complete like mess in and of itself and you had Braun Strowman in a, fate, in a triple threat match I'll say fatal four way triple threat match for the WWE championship in the semi main of Wrestlemania backlash and you fire him a month later now I understand there's apparently rumor in your window maybe Omos is going to take over that spot as the big guy in WWE which makes sense Dude's a lot bigger. Dude just has that aura about him. Braun Strowman, the start and stop booking, hurt him a lot. But he's still going to be making a buttload of money on the indie circuit. And I think with him, I'll kind of break down my thoughts on each person where I think they do indeed go. And I'll say this about Braun. I think the best case scenario for him is to work the indies in America for a while until the pandemic starts letting up a little bit more, especially in Japan. Because tell me you don't want to see a Braun Strowman be this, like, just dominant, like, gaijin monster over in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You could have him legitimately be a threat towards everybody. I know the world of wrestling has changed a lot in New Japan over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years. Because I'm thinking more along the lines of whenever you saw Albert from WWE get released and he wound up going over to Japan as Giant Bernard and also you have Tyson Tomko, those guys. like 
He's go look back at those days of New Japan. He was an absolute just monster in Matt Bloom. He was treated so damn well, and he was pushed really, really hard. He even fought Brock Lesnar for the IWGP heavyweight title pretty early on. And he actually almost won the title, if not for losing to Tanahashi in the final back in 2006. So he had a lot of opportunities, then teamed up with Travis Tomko, then teamed up with Carl Anderson, and was able to really be part of something. And obviously the Bullet Club saw the thing break up, and then he went back to WWE and got treated like a geek, and then eventually retired, which may have been for the better. But he was on another level when he went to w- went to New Japan after he got released, because he changed his entire gimmick, he, he changed his entire style, and he looked like a damn monster. And that's what I think they need. But of course, it's a lot more of a strong style. We don't see like the big, meaty guys in. New Japan. Now it's a lot more about getting the absolute best premier fighters, premier wrestlers who work a certain style, a mixture of strong style, but also they're a lot smaller. Like your, your champions right now are pretty darn tiny in comparison to a Braun Strowman who's about, like, I'd say, just off the top of my head, I'm not even looking at his measurables, but I'd say around like 6'8 or so. Brought in like 300 pounds. He's 6'8", 365, according to Wikipedia, which we all know is true. At least this is build weight. But the dude is just a brick house monster. Tell me you wouldn't want to see that in New Japan and just dominate. You'd have him be the never open weight champion and just build him up that way. I think that'd be awesome. Have him in a few matches with Jeff Cobb. I'd sign up for New Japan Strong in a heartbeat. Or New Japan World in a heartbeat to watch that damn thing. The other one's Aleister Black. And it's an interesting like choice. I think Aleister Black is going to be, without a doubt, a megastar in whatever promotion he's in. I, would, I think he'd fit extremely well in AEW. It'd be him and Santana Garrett. I feel like both of those would fit extremely well in AEW, both for different reasons. I think Aleister Black... He's hard-hitting as hell, and he can put together some really good matches. But I think he's going to take some time away from wrestling for a while, because he's been doing it for a long time, and I wouldn't be surprised if he just wants to, once he comes back to wrestling, he's going to want to do things his way. And maybe it's not with AEW or Impact, and goes do his own thing, goes back to the indies, and figures out how he fits into everything. But he's going to be somebody that is going to get some like major bookings. Because he was part of an angle with Big E, and we never got to see that paid off because WWE decided to fire him. And apparently there's some people in the front office that want him back. And if they can bring him back, oh my God, I would absolutely love that kind of thing. But that feels like an uphill climb in and of itself. Meanwhile, the company also parted ways with Ruby Riot, Lana, Murphy, and Santana Garrett. Murphy's another guy. I think could work really well in New Japan. I'll go. I'll start. I'll go with Murphy, and then I'll go with the other three women. I think Murphy is a New Japan guy, junior heavyweight through and through. He can put together like bangers with damn near everybody. Tell me you wouldn't want to see that on New Japan. AEW seems like a good landing spot too. I just don't know if they want to continue like 
just keep adding every single WWE person because, again, it's that stigma of that person formerly being of the WWE. But Murphy, Kenny Omega, the work rate, the amount of work rate he'd be able to have with a lot of guys would be so much fun. Him, Hangman Page, MJF, Jericho. Like, I think Murphy could wind up being treated so much better in another brand because WWE butchered him so many times. And I think he was on 205 Live didn't help him either. Ruby Riot, I'd like her to be in AEW, but I feel like she works. She'd work better, I think, in Impact or, or the National Wrestling Alliance or even Ring of Honor. Because I want to, I'd love to see her have more of a just run as a wrestler before I really kind of have a take. Because I've I hadn't seen her stuff before WWE. I heard great things about it, but just never really watched it because Shimmer and Shine just are my thing. Lana's an interesting case because I think she could probably make a good bit of money just doing, you know, modeling, maybe something else. I'm not going to mention the actual thing, but let's just say Lana were to put out a subscription service, people would flock to that thing like crazy. Santana Garrett's another one. It's AEW or National Wrestling Alliance or Impact. She is going to be a star She's done such a great job as a, I can remember her back in like the early 2010s, back when I followed the independent scene a lot more and, and saw who was the current champions where. Santana Garrett wound up having like four or five titles all at the same time, and they were all pretty damn relevant. So I can remember seeing her, I mean, as Brittany in TNA, and she does a great job over there. I think the women's division in AW desperately needs. Steady hands, and I feel like Ruby Riot and Santana Garrett are in that role. Lana, I think she's going to have some time away from wrestling just to keep her distance from the Miro thing. Because there's still a lot of that stink from last from 2020 with the Lashley, Lana, and Rusev angle and how they ruined all that and how they just ruined Rusev in WWE. I don't think they want to pair those two up, at least not right away, at least the way I'm thinking about it. But we'll see. That, but those releases has set off the big overarching theory and the rumor. Is Vince McMahon going to sell the WWE in the next year or the not-too-distant future? I would not be surprised. I have no sources to tell me they're going to or not because I don't have really any sources. I just give my opinion on things. I think that WWE is going to sell to somebody, be it, NBC, Disney, you know, any company that would be interested is going to take the opportunity to go ahead and buy the company. Because, and add the fact that I think WWE's changed so much in the last seven years. They've gotten off of the pay-per-view model. They created a streaming service that had hundreds of thousands of hours of content, and it continues to grow. WWE in the last seven years has become, especially I think in the last like six months, has become more of a content provider versus a pro wrestling slash sports entertainment provider. That's what I think is going to go with WWE. They're going to sell, and it's more because of the fact that they are absolutely changing 
the way they want to book things. The changing the ways of like making themselves into a multi-billion-dollar corporation. They're going to sell off because guess what? They can probably make a couple billion dollars by selling the company and selling the tape libraries that they have because that's worth a ton of money to major companies like a Netflix, like a Hulu, like a Disney Plus, like a Peacock. Because at the end of the day, they want content. WWE is the WWE. Whoever bids the highest and gets them, they have all the rights to every single WWE match, WCW, ECW, all of it. It's in their hands. And WWE would never have to run another show, but they'd have enough content to run 24-7, 365, in my mind, to where you'd have to watch it every day, every hour of every day, for like three years, nonstop, to fully see it all, like from start to finish. That's kind of where I'm at on this. Do I think WWE is going to sell, basically? I say yes. Now to who? Your guess is as good as mine. I wouldn't be surprised if it is, in fact, NBC, since I already have a deal with them. But we'll see what happens next. You're listening to the Cage Strong Style Podcast. Harry Broadhurst, next. This is Jim Ross, and you're listening to Cage and Strong Style. CB's going to test his expertise and predictions against someone who's running in and invading the podcast zone. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Well, if you know what's going down this Sunday, I think you know exactly why our next guest is here. We have him on. He's become our NXT expert, the foremost guru when it comes to NXT predictions and everything going on on the black and yellow brand. And that is our guy of the Reaction Podcast Network. That is the one, the only, Harry Broadhurst. Harry, how's it going, brother? I'm good, CD. What's up? Uh, Not too much, man. Not too much. We've got NXT TakeOver in your house coming up this Sunday. We'll get to the predictions in a moment. But I'm I'm starting this project this summer. I'm going to have a lot of people on that are in media or what have you, people I'm friends with, and get to know what got them into the sport of professional wrestling. Because I think it's always interesting to see, obviously, pro wrestlers are a different conversation, but in terms of people who you know, and you didn't know, haven't necessarily talked to them all about what got them into the sport and what kind of fostered their love for it over the years. So I'm going to start with this. What was the moment that got you into pro wrestling? Uh, for me, it was watching the pay-per-views at a very young age with my grandfather and my uncles. My earliest memory of professional wrestling is going to a live event when I was nine years old with my uncle. That's really cool, man. And, you know, like, that's kind of similar to mine because me, it was more like when I was 10, we went to WCW Thunder, and yes, I'm saying WCW Thunder was a memory of mine growing up. Maybe maybe my uncle could have sent probably to a better show, but it was really cool. Just a double taping, something I'd never really seen before, and was able to see just a live event, period, was awesome in and of itself. Well, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't the where, it was the who you were with. Exactly, exactly. But it's like, you think about it, WCW, WCW Thunder in 1999, it's like, you look back at it, it's like, 
Yeah, not exactly the, the best show in the world, but rose-colored glasses make it seem a little bit better. Not to mention the wheels hadn't completely fallen off of the promotion at that point. Yeah, and, you know, a 10-year-old me wasn't necessarily reading the Observer newsletter. That that kind of helped matters as well, right? Man, you were a youngin. I would have been 14 in 99. Jeez. I, I, uh, my, go ahead. My first, my first live event was 1994, a house show at the Bigley Center in Youngstown, Ohio. What was that? What was that like? Do you remember any of that, or have you like gone do like event, research? Main event was a casket match between the Undertaker and Yokozuna. Oh my God, that that just sounds awesome. Now what? Now 94. That was that was before or after they actually had the casket match at the Rumble, correct? Or is that was that? It would have been. It would have been in the bill towards the return match at the Survivor Series. Okay, later that okay. Year. Yeah, I do. I was like, I couldn't remember if it was ninety four. And I dates always kind of mess with me a good bit. So I was just, I was just trying to remember the time frame because though they had the match at the Royal Rumble, so, th- so it was a rematch leading to the Survivor Series. Okay, now I'm kind of getting where that time frame is, but it's really cool just to kind of think about the first moment. That you got into wrestling. Mind you, I was around it a lot. Didn't necessarily watch it. In fact, I, I did a podcast back on Christmas Day where I actually watched back the first bit of wrestling that I ever watched on television. And it was the episode of Raw when Stone Cold hit the stunner on Santa. I don't know why, but that was the moment that kind of hooked me. I want to say 97. Yeah, that was December 22nd, 1997. Like, I was at my grandparents' house, and, like, all my grandparents went to bed. I was still awake. I just was flipping channels. USA Network, and the first thing I see is Stone Cold Stunning Santa. That's all I remember, and that's what stuck with me, and I became a wrestling fan ever since. Yeah, um, watching with my uncles when I was younger was my earliest memory. And then I have my other uncle, another uncle to thank, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. Uh, rest in peace to my Uncle Gordon. He's the one who got me back into wrestling because my my parents despised wrestling. They hated it. Yeah. They still do. My mother does not understand why I watch, and frankly, nothing I say is going to convince her otherwise, so it's an argument that I don't have with her anymore. That being said, my uncle, her brother, was a big fan, and we used to have this flea market up here that we would go to, and... I was looking at some of the VHS tapes there. This is how old I am. The VHS tapes were still a thing. Yeah, oh, trust me. I, I, I remember what they were, too. And I was looking at some of the VHS tapes, and there were a couple of uh, wrestling VHS tapes there. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. I wish I could get those. And my uncle looks to me and goes, get them. I'm like, I can't. My mom won't let me. He says, okay, she'll say no to you, but she can't say no to me. And then he bought the VHS <laughs> tapes for me. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, that's really so, cool. Yeah, rest in rest in peace, Uncle Gordon, and thanks for getting me back into the sport. I can about imagine that was so huge just to kind of get that, and it's like, and you, I can about imagine it wasn't necessarily your like run of the mill like WWF Coliseum video type things. This was probably a little bit a little bit different to where it just made you realize, hey, I'm back in wrestling, right? WCW Fall Brawl 1998, one of the most. God awful pay per views ever, but it'll always hold a special place in my heart because it's the show that got me back into wrestling. Interesting show to get back in on. Mind you, I've never really truly been out of it. It's always like from I'd say nineteen ninety nine when I started watching more like I was more of a WCW kid growing up. So it was always like 
watching Nitro, watching Thunder, watching all that stuff. And then when that went away, it was WWE. Then I drifted towards TNA, Impact. All I, I drifted around a lot towards other things outside of WWE for a little bit, but then I came back to WWE because things just wound up getting a lot more interesting a little bit further down the road. But let's get into the current day of pro wrestling with the WWE, which is just an interesting world in and of itself, that conversation we could probably have towards the end of this segment. But let's get down to brass tacks here. It's an interesting card. NXT TakeOver in your house, and sadly, we still have no house up for grabs in a contest. What are we doing, WWE? Like you need a, You're missing an opportunity. Did you hear what Johnny Gargano found out, though? What did he find out? It's a Subway now. <laughs> it's a Subway? Now, is it a Subway sandwich, a Subway franchise, or just a Subway? It's a, it's a Subway franchise now where the original In Your House house was. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I thought I think you were saying like they're giving away a Subway. I was like, wait, which one? <laughs> you know what? I would not say no to winning a Subway. <laughs> a Subway franchise? I'd settle for a gift card. Like I've said before, I can't be bought, but I can be rented. Oh, come on now. Everybody's got a price, and we'll talk about Ted DiBiase in a little bit. <laughs> By the way, that, that's been my favorite part of NXT lately, has been the Ted oh. DiBiase, Cameron Grimes angle. Oh, Cameron Grimes is a baby face. is the greatest thing ever. I am so here for it. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's get into a match that I think is probably going to open it and be a really strong one. It's Bronson Reed and MSK winner-take-all tag team match that was announced last night during NXT. This felt inevitable, though, to be honest with you, to see this kind of thing come to a head where Bronson Reed, the colossal Bronson Reed, and MSK squaring off with all three members of Legato Del Fantasma, both the North American and the tag team championships on the line. I am so looking forward to this because it's going to be definitely a big clash of styles. All right, so I have a positive and a negative to take away from this match up here, if you'll indulge me. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. The positive is is this match should be fantastic. All six of these men can go, especially Bronson Reed, the former Jonah Rock, if anybody wants to look him up in his pre-WWE days, who, who is a fantastic performer for a guy his size. We know what Santos Escobar, the former King Cuerno, is capable of. MSK, obviously, the Rascals, we know what they're capable of. Joaquin Wilde, the former DJZ, and Raul Mendoza have been a surprisingly impressive tag team together. The negative is, I hate tag team matches for singles titles. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of it, but it makes sense in terms of the storyline because every time you've seen the last few weeks, Bronson Reed's involved in something with Legato del Fantasma. Somehow, someway, MSK gets involved in it. So I'm okay with, yeah, I'm okay with it in this sense. I don't disagree that the storyline built up to it makes sense in regards to it being a six-man tag team match. I just don't know that I would have put the titles on the line in the six-man tag. I would have had it set up. Maybe you put a stipulation on the match that if Legato del Fantasma wins the match and they get a future title opportunity for both shots, but... Instead, they decided to go the route of putting all all three all, all three championships, two titles total, the tag team titles and the North American title on the line in the same match. I just like this a lot better than I did the winner-take-all match they had at SummerSlam 08 with um, uh, Beth Phoenix and Santino Morella wind up winning both belts. Cause that, that was a little bit far-fetched, the, the storyline, the build to it. 
This, I feel like it works a lot better. I would have much rather preferred, let's say, Legado de Fantasma. If they lose, they can never challenge for the tag, for either titles as long as those guys are both champions. That would have been a great story to sell in and of itself. But I think this may be a better way to go about it. I think you'll see Bronson Reed and MSK, in fact, retain. And then we can see where the storyline goes from here with Legado del Fantasma after losing another big opportunity. Because it feels like they've lost a little bit of shine since TakeOver Stand and Deliver. And as we both kind of postured, Kushida wound up winning the Cruiserweight title like a week later. Yeah, it's like we knew. We didn't. Yeah, we we, we didn't. Um, I'm also going to pick uh, Bronson Reed and MSK here. I would not be disappointed if Santos Escobar is the one to take the North American title off of Bronson Reed, but I don't think a six-man tag team match is a big enough moment for him to do so. Exactly, especially since we've got a lot of other interesting stories that are going on throughout the night. One of the least interesting, at least to me, and it's not a knock against the women's division, but it's Mercedes Martinez versus Zaya Lee. And this whole, I love the Tian Shaw angle. It's really cool. It's really cinematic. But at the same time, it feels like it just, it's out of place in a card that's filled with actual high stakes, having this be a singles match on the card with nothing really there. Now, it's all obviously about what happens. Does Tian Shaw finally kind of pop up and we see this entire angle build up? And it becomes a little more cinematic and be more Lucha Underground-esque. It just feels slightly out of place. I don't disagree with that, but I'm okay with this for a multitude of reasons. Uh, First of which is, and we've had this conversation before, I am a huge mark for Mercedes Martinez, and have been for years. Second of all, Zia Lee's actually really impressed me since her re-debut in NXT as Zia Warrior Princess. (laughs) I like the way you put that. Uh... Patent pending. No, I, t-shirts coming soon. Yeah, we're going to print those <laughs> t-shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com and make sure my Vince McMahon doesn't find those. <laughs> but Actually, I'd be more I'd be more worried about getting sued by the people that own Xena, but that's neither here yeah. there. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be more about Zaya. I mean, you'd probably wind up spinning it a certain way to wind up getting out of that one. As long as, long as you're not dealing with Kevin Sorbo, I think we're all good. Nah, ain't nobody got time for Hercules. Anyways. <laughs> Um, back to the match itself, though. I think Zaya wins here because I think that they want to put. I want. I think they want to do something special with Tian Shaw. I've heard rumors about who the woman portraying the character is, and I don't know if it's a big enough name to actually go anywhere with it. But I would be curious to see what they decide to do down the road with that. All right, chat me up. You you got me interested. Who who do you think who who have you heard is going to be potentially the person who gets revealed? All right, so there's there's a two-parter here because there was, there was talks about who's actually currently playing the role, and there was speculation as to who might be playing the role down the line. Okay. The talks as to the person currently playing the role is Karen Q. Okay. Who was in the Mae Young Classic a couple of years ago but got hurt. She signed with NXT, and then I think right after she signed with NXT, I think she blew her knee out. The rumor that I have heard as far as the eventual reveal is Kyrie Sane. I would love if that were that were the end game here. If you can wind up having Kyrie Sane and just have her be completely like just the exact op the polar opposite of what we've seen her in a role in WWE, the the pirate princess, all that stuff. 
make her into like a, a very dark character. I would love that, to be honest with you. I can't say that I wouldn't like it either, just because, one, Kyrie's a fantastic worker. I, I've been using the word fantastic a lot. I need to find a different – got to hit the uh, – Tremendous. I got to hit the thesaurus here before this podcast is out. But, um, yeah, Kyrie's a very good worker, and I, I don't think that Kyrie got the recognition that she deserved on the main roster, whereas I thought she was really protected in NXT. And I think that this would be an opportunity to bring back some of that NXT allure to Kyrie Sane as well. I'm kind of with you in terms of Mercedes Martinez. She's been a hell of a worker. I wouldn't be surprised if she's going to make a main roster debut before long. So I'm going to go with Mercedes Martinez, but I'm kind of tentative because I feel like they want to try and put over the stable and this group. And I wouldn't be surprised if Zia Lee does, in fact, get the win just so we have Mercedes Martinez goes over um, on her way out or, or um, takes a loss on the way out. Are you ready for? Are you ready for a little bit more speculation? All right, let's go. R- rumors are that Mercedes Martinez will be Eva Marie's heavy when Eva debuts. I, I heard that. I heard that. And I, All right, so let's double back towards Eva Marie, then we'll get to the rest of the card. What are your thoughts on Eva Marie getting all this love? I and mean, you, you see a lot of really good women's wrestlers wind up getting the axe over the last few weeks. Namely, we can bring up the Iconics, Mickey James, and then obviously everything that's happened over the last week with some of the more – Shocking releases. I, even Lana got released. Like and you know, Ruby Riot, formerly Heidi Lovelace, all those ladies getting released. Meanwhile, you got Eva Marie. She's coming back almost virtually out of nowhere after years of her not really doing anything. Well, she had the, she was doing the acting thing for a while, and then I think she was on Big Brother Canada as well, if I recall correctly. Uh, or Big Brother I, Celebrity? I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't watch Big Brother. I mean, mind you, I watch Big Brother America. I don't watch Big Brother Canada or, or whatever she was on. I don't. I don't remember so, it. I feel like this is a conversation to have with Mister Bellon. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I know he's huge on that. He's probably watched that up that season multiple times. Knowing him, I, <laughs> that checks out. Shout out, Rick. Um, shout, shout out to Rick. To, um. Here's the thing with some of these releases real quick, and then we'll get back to I'll get to the Eva Murray thing. The Iconics thing is disappointing, but at the same time, I do, I do feel their potential could be fulfilled better elsewhere. Because Peyton, uh, K- Casey Cassidy, Kayla Cassidy, I'm not sure what she's going by now. I think she's going back by Casey Cassidy. Um, she was just starting to break out as a singles performer when they finally pulled the trigger on releasing her. And I would make the argument that Jesse that Jesse McKay, the former Billy Kay's uh, resume gimmick on SmackDown, was one of the most entertaining things in the SmackDown women's division. Thank you. I, I, I'm 100% with you, especially on Billy Kay. Her gimmick was like the MVP of the Royal Rumble. Whenever she came out and was trying to show her resume and join up people so she'd have a, a partner to go with, that was a great gimmick to go with. And then they just cut her out from underneath her. It was like insane just to see. And then you have, again, Eva Marie, somebody who like just has drawn the eye of wrestling fans for a good while, just because it feels like she's from an, like we talk about ahead of her, ahead of his or her time with certain wrestlers, like a Brian Pillman, for instance, I feel like Eva Marie is from a bygone era in a sense of, she feels much more like diva era, butterfly belt, three, four-minute bra and panty matches type stuff versus what the women's wrestling is now. Or maybe I'm wrong on this. 
No, I don't entirely disagree, but I think Eva's shown potential before. Do you remember the NXT feud she had with Bailey a couple of years back? Yep. Where they kind of did the uh, outsider coming to NXT with uh, Eva Marie having the backing of WWE corporate and Scott Armstrong coming to take the NXT title from that Bailey. Crooked ref, Scott I don't know if you Armstrong. remember that or not, but it was really entertaining, and I thought Eva played a role fantastically there. I think there's a spot for somebody like Eva Marie. I don't think she's going to be any kind of revelation when it comes to her in-ring abilities. But at the same time, I do think that there is an opportunity for her to shine even in the current era because she is so different from everybody else on that roster currently. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm giving her a, a chance because uh, I the evolution thing. I'm like, did we really just not remember about what happened a few years ago with the evolution? Mind you, she's done a fantastic job as Tennille Dashwood over an Impact. Now she's done a lot better of a job post WWE, but it's like immediately was major emolution vibes. I'm like, okay, I want to see where this goes. And if Mercedes Martinez is her heavy, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And that would add a tag team to a women's tag team division that we've talked about. It's just bare bones. And even more so now that you got rid of Ruby Riot. Who I was just about to touch on, and I'm glad you segued me to her. Well done, sir. Hey, man, that's um, what I'm trying to do. No less of a source than The Rock put over Heidi Loveless. Oh, exactly. Like, there's so many people that have put her over, and she's deservedly there, so. There are two people in this recent set of releases that are going to become absolute superstars now that they've left the WWE, in my opinion. The obvious one is Tommy End, the former Aleister Black. The less obvious one, but no less of a superstar, in my opinion, is Heidi Loveless. Everybody was giving her a lot of love, and it's justifiably so. And I, I, I'm agreeing with you a lot with who you think is going to wind up being like the biggest like breakout of this recent crop. And I think there's no doubt in my mind he like she is going to be in that mix. Whoever's going to pick her up after that 90 day release, it's going to be fun. Yeah, September's going to be really interesting because I don't think there's any question that Alistair ends up or Tommy ends up in AEW. I don't think there's any question that CJ Perry, the former Lana, ends up in AEW because of the fact that Miro is there. I don't think she's – here's the thing. I don't think she's going to go to, like, wrestling, like, right out the gate and go to AEW. I think she probably would spend a little bit more time, maybe more along the lines of, let's say, Impact Wrestling or Ring of Honor now that they're kind of – ramping up their women's division because I feel like if you want to have Lana be a part of that, I think you want to keep your distance from the Rusev and Lana thing and Miro and Lana or CJ Perry, whatever they want to call her in AEW or whatever promotion she's in, just so you can kind of keep your, like get the stink off of that. Cause it felt like the final like year or so of that angle, it had a ton of just flies on it. And I'm not trying to try and just, like, clear that up before you do anything else. I will say this much. There was a line from Miro. I don't know if you remember this. Yep. Um, he was talking to Kip Sabian at the time. And it was in a match where Sabian got knocked off the apron and knocked on to Penelope. And Miro ended up winning the match for the team. And Sabian confronted him about knocking Sabian off into Penelope, saying Penelope got hurt in the process. And Miro's response to Sabian was, if there's one thing I've learned in wrestling, it's to not have your wife at ringside. 
Exactly. That's kind of a big reason why I feel like we're going to we're going to see these two apart. But in terms of a, somebody, I'll give you two more out of this group that I think are going to be really, really good. You probably pretty right. I'll counterpoint with Santana Garrett. She is absolute. I think she is an AEW bound person because that women's division deserves to have her in that spot. Now, of course, she could go to the National Wrestling Alliance and kind of rebuild herself from there. I wouldn't but, be surprised but, to see. I wouldn't be surprised to see her end up in Impact Wrestling as Brittany again. Yeah, I would. I would be interested to see that too. But I'll also bring up Murphy because I. Oh yeah. I want to see absolutely. I want to see Murphy versus Kenny. Like, give that to me. Tell me that wouldn't be like a five star match if Murphy's not allowed to just go a hundred and ten percent. Oh, are you ready for me to piss some people off here? Okay. Here's a quote for you to put on the podcast promotion. You ready? All right, go ahead. Murphy is a better Kenny Omega. Wow. I, I, I'm I'm stunned right there. Like that that's a bold statement right there. Murphy is Kenny Omega with better in ring skills. I think Omega's more charismatic. I think Omega cuts a better promo. I won't deny that. When it comes to their in ring abilities, Murphy is a better Kenny Omega. Okay, okay, uh, I'm get I'm getting behind it. Now I was bringing up Mercedes Martinez as a heavy for Eva Marie. Let's get it. Let's get into another heavy in Raquel Gonzalez, who is Dakota Kai's heavy, defending the NXT Women's Championship against Amber Moon, Shotzi Blackheart at ringside for this one. I gotta go with Raquel because they need to establish her as just a dominant force in that women's division. So that way, whenever they find that next big thing. In NXT to take it over, she's got to wind up still being the champ by that point, right? Well, I would argue that the uh, they kind of telegraphed this match here with what happened on, on Tuesday's episode of NXT when Io Shirai made her return, and Io and Raquel had that confrontation backstage as Raquel was going out for Dakota's match against Ember. Okay. I would argue that they kind of telegraphed that Raquel is going to win this match, and then they'll set up the rematch between Raquel and Io down the road. I, I'm intrigued by that. and But for me, I'm like, you can't screw up this opportunity with Raquel because I feel like she is one of those like talents. And the fact that she's got that aura, that look of somebody who's just, if she loses a match like this, it hurts her like viewpoint. And then, obviously, you could do a Dakota Kai breakup, and you have that big angle, and that pays off at a, at a NXT TakeOver, wherever they do it. Because I don't even know if they're going to do an NXT TakeOver outside of the Capitol Wrestling Center until 2022, just based off of the way they have these things mapped out in terms of tapings and live events Not- once we, once things go back to normal. Not to mention, they put SummerSlam on a freaking Saturday. Yeah, same day as a big boxing match, and that 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 was insane in and of itself. I'm like, what is going on? Then the then the next day, they're gonna have to go fly out to Colorado for a house show. That's stupid. That Colorado house show is gonna get canceled. I'm calling it now. I'm just blown away. They're actually doing house shows. I mean, I mean, apparently they're going to be like. Think about it. Pre COVID, they were getting rid of house shows. 
I think that there's a market for them right now just because of the fact that it's people being able to return to pro yeah. wrestling once again beyond the scope of just WrestleMania specifically. So I'm not surprised to see the house shows coming back, even if for a limited run. That being said, I don't like the idea of them having house shows immediately before or after pay-per-views because why would you want to put your talent at risk like that? Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you wholeheartedly. But again, it's Vince McMahon. He's going to do what he thinks is right for business and we'll – We'll just leave it there. Let's flip it on over to the ladder match for the vacant million-dollar championship. It is officially back, and it's going to be the big payoff for the Cameron Grimes-Ted DiBiase feud. At, like, at first, it's like, okay, I understand why you're doing it. It's, it's very meta, and it's making fun of the fact Cameron Grimes has become rich off of Dogecoin. Hopefully he pulled out a Dogecoin before the SNL show because he would have wound up losing a good bit of money off of that because the, the Doge has dropped. Yeah, you're you're basically talking French to me when it comes to the cryptocurrency stuff, man. I don't get involved with that. Basically, like, a, like after the SNL skit that um, uh, Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. Did, with Elon Musk, that thing tanked. Because that thing at one point was like at 60, 70 cents, and then that sketch happened, and the money has just dipped significantly. Like, it's still pretty decent, 33 cents, 34 cents right now, but compared to what it could be like in terms of like if we're going to go ahead and use realistic your boy Cameron Grimes would have pulled out a good while ago and been sticking with the GameStop stock because that thing is literally to the moon I thought it was like at $300 yesterday well I hear he got in early on the AMC thing too yep. and then AMC skyrocketed over the last couple of days as well but um real quick just to make it official I'm also taking Raquel in the women's title match okay. I don't. I don't know if uh, I made that official or not. So I just wanted to officially say hey, it. That's cool. That's cool. And you know, for me, I think I got to go with. I, I said Raquel Gonzalez retaining, just for the record, just in case you missed it. But all right. Let, all right. So now back to the uh, the situation with Cameron Grimes and L.A. Knight. Yep. Um. Oh, I hate to say this. I really do. I I don't I don't see any way that uh, L.A. Knight doesn't win this match. I'm I, I'm going against you, man. I got to go with Cameron Grimes. I got to go with the guy that's absolutely just gotten over so much. It would it would make so much sense to have that payoff moment. And I'm just saying, why can't we have Virgil be involved in this? Like be involved okay. in the finish. Two things. One, it'll never Virgil. Come on, you got to have that moment where, like Virgil, like Ted DiBiase trying to run interference in the match. And Virgil stops him. Imagine the pop for that. It would be the first pop for Virgil ever. I'd agree with that. <laughs> All right. Um, my personal bias is towards Virgil aside. Because I actually do have a story there. I'll share it with you off the air. Okay. Um, the only reason I say that this has to go with LA Knight here is because, let's be honest, D.B. Aussie's a heel. And I just don't see DiBiase aligning himself with Cameron Grimes. Well, I don't think he'll ever have to really align himself with Cameron Grimes. It's all because he can still align himself with LA Knight if Cameron Grimes wins, because now it's about the heel trying to get back his title. Because Cameron Grimes, I think that would be the better idea. That way you, you can, can still have this feud with Grimes and DiBiase. See, I think that you could still go with a. Uh... 
with DiBiase and LA Knight, with LA Knight taking the title here, I think that if Grimes wins the title, it kind of takes LA Knight out of the picture because why would DiBiase want to associate himself with a loser? Well, I think you could also say, hey, you know, you didn't get the job done, but hey, stick around. We're going to go ahead and, and see what we got and maybe have a new million dollar corporation and keep throwing guys at Cameron Grimes and try and take the title off of him. I think that would be a really fun angle, too. All I'm going to say is that when it comes to the winner of this match, if you're asking me if I think Eli Drake is going to win, you know what I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you, dummy! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a fact of life that L.A. Knight, I, I just, <laughs> like, right away, whenever he debuted, it's like, okay, good. And then the second week they have him lose to the eventual North American champion in Bronson Reed, I was like, are you really just going to go ahead and have this, like, 50-50 booking on a guy like that? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is Eli Drake has always just been somebody I – I can't get into. And the fact that it's L.A. Knight, but it's the same exact promo stylings as Eli Drake. I, I, he's, he's one of the guys I can't stand in NXT. See, I think that helps him, though, because of the fact that he connects over multiple federations with the Eli Drake character, starting in Impact Wrestling and then moving to the National Wrestling Alliance and now bringing it to NXT, even if it's under a different name. I think that helps him. Yeah. This is a guy who we talked earlier about the the Rock giving his blessing to Heidi Lovelace for her first WWE endeavors. This is a guy who had the endorsement of the Rock when he was starting his professional wrestling career. Let's not forget because yep. he was on the Rock's reality show, The Hero. Yeah, as Sean Rickers using yeah using his actual government name. And I, I mean, I, I think that's cool, but at the same time, it's like I'm just not necessarily sold on him getting to that point in time right now of being the million dollar champion. At least that I it's probably him and Robert Stone are the two people I just can't stand in NXT right now. I, I'm like I'm amazed Robert Stone still exists on the WWE WWE black and yellow brand or just it, on the roster. Again, Robert Stone's another one of those rock guys too because of his involvement with the Titan games. He just sucks to be honest with you. I'll, I'll just go ahead and end it there. Look, I like Robbie E. I, I just could I he was his gimmick was good, but I've I've heard some stories about him like, yeah, not not he's he's very much a pesterer. Let's just go ahead and put it that way. Maybe I liked him more because he had Becky Bayless with him in Impact Wrestling, because I do miss me some Becky Bayless. I'm just saying. Nah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Let's get to the main event. But before we get to the actual match itself, what are your, what are your thoughts on Karrion Cross being the NXT champion once again, taking it away from Finn Balor? Because it's led, I think, to some interesting points of what we talked about, I think, last year when I had you on for the first time to talk about the NXT TakeOver In Your House 1, and we talked about Karrion Cross and your thoughts on him. I think now it's a year later, now he's the NXT champion for the second time after that injury kind of derailed him. And it feels like to a certain extent, maybe he's got the diesel vibe in terms of, oh, hey, since he's been the champion, the ratings have dipped more and more, even after moving over to a Tuesday night. All right, so there are a couple of different lines of thinking when it comes to Karrion Cross. One, Adam Cole was correct. Karrion Cross is not the best wrestler in the world. He's never going to be the best wrestler in the world. Karrion Cross, however, is an attraction, which is something that the WWE loves. You get the smoke and mirrors of the entrance. You get the hot blonde manager. And trust me, Scarlett is absolutely gorgeous. 
you get all of the external vibes to Karrion Cross. Like Adam Cole said, you know what they do to make Adam Cole special? They ring the freaking bell. Cross does not fit your traditional NXT champion mold because of the fact that he is not going to go out there and have five-star banger after five-star banger. You know who he reminds me of in that regard? Who's that? Robert Roode. Really? Flashy entrance. Nothing fantastic in the ring, but a capable hand able to get the job done on a night-in, night-out basis. And there is a spot for that. I don't know that that spot is as NXT champion, though, because the NXT championship title has always been branded as something of a workhorse title. Like the IC belt. Exactly. It's traditionally been on smaller guys, maybe Samoa Joe accept, and Kevin Owens accepted, but Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens are freakishly athletic large dudes. Karrion Cross has looked very good in the two matches with Finn Balor. But here's the thing. He's in the ring with Finn freaking Balor, who is maybe one of the five or ten best wrestlers in the world right now. Karrion Cross is in the ring right now in this, in this match for the NXT title here at, in your house against Kyle O'Reilly, Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, and Adam Cole. Maybe the four best workers in NXT right now except for Finn Balor who might be going back up to the main roster if you believe the rumors. I hope he doesn't go up to the main roster because it's like the second he goes up there, they're going to just neuter him again. And it's like... Here's the, here, here's the issue. What's left in NXT? There's nothing really left at this point for him in NXT, but I think maybe... like Not, not moving him right away to the, to the main roster again. I think if you're going to continue with NXT UK and if you believe the rumor in innuendo, maybe... NXT UK might be going away soon. Who knows? But maybe there's money in Finn Balor appearing for like he takes some time off, disappears, and takes on Walter at the first NXT takeover since the pandemic for the NXT UK title to try and go for that. And then if he loses, he'll go over to like Raw or SmackDown. Well, we, we kind of talked about the Walter thing the last time you had me on, and we discussed who I think should be the man to take the NXT title off of Walter, the NXT UK title off of Walter. And I, I think they've done a fantastic job with the redemption story for Ilya Dragunov. Yep. So I really want to see, like, the, the PTSD from facing Walter that Ilya is showing in his character is such a beautiful plot twist. And it is so expertly done by him. Because, like, he'll be having that standard match, and then something in him will just snap, and he'll just start beating the hell out of somebody. I think that he needs to be able to channel that all the way into being the one to take the NXT UK title off of Walter. I like the idea of Balor versus Walter, don't get me wrong. And Walter's another one of those freakishly athletic big dudes that we talked about. But I think that there's not really much else left in NXT for Balor, so I'm not opposed to him going back up to the main roster with the caveat that we don't devolve Balor to what Balor was previously if he does go back up. That, that's, that's the biggest thing that I'm most concerned about with Finn Balor. But let's get to the main, event. Let's get to the main event itself, a fatal five-way match. 
And I think this might be the first time we're ever getting the Fatal Five way for the NXT title, right? It sure sure doesn't seem like it's a match that's happened before. I don't I don't think they've ever done more than four for the NXT title. Yeah. That's kind of where I was at. So it's like you got Karrion Cross defending against Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, and Pete Dunne. First off, what are your thoughts on kind of the way and Johnny Gargano's stable and how that's been handled? Because it feels like it's that, like, while everything else is gritty, it's got this, like, true just wrestler vibe. Meanwhile, Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae, and crew, it feels very much Bulk and Skull-esque to me. Now, mind you, I love that kind of stuff with Johnny Gargano because he's done. A, like, they've all done a really good job turning themselves into like like goofy character characters of themselves, and it's worked. Um, a couple of things. First, their theme song is an absolute banger. Yes, it is. Gargano specifically coming back for you, fantastic. And I thought I wouldn't I wouldn't get over them lo- losing Rebel Heart, but I think coming back for you might actually be better for Gargano. Uh, second, Indy Hartwell might be the female MVP of NXT right now. Because her storyline with Dexter Loomis is one of my favorite things going. And the way that it played out with Poppy this past Tuesday might be the best celebrity involvement they've had in a very long time yep. outside of Bad Bunny. Oh, I, I'd agree with you there because Pop Poppy was just so, so great now she managed to like rectify some things there. Not to mention the whole, the way that Dexter Loomis sold the hug from Poppy and then Indy Hartwell coming over right during their legit laughter. Oh, it's so great. Because just the, the look on Loomis's face changes from that of I'm hugging Poppy to, um, oh bleep. <laughs> like the pictures I saw of it and the memes were just fantastic last night. The only issue is, is I don't think we'll ever see Poppy as a wrestler. So it kind of sets up EO versus Candice in a one-on-one match, and we've seen that before back when the EO was NXT Women's Champion. I, I would love if they wound up just like somehow, some way, being able to book that match because I think they'd be able to have like something like even if you did it like cinematic style, I think they'd be able to do a good job with it. I think the question would be is how, how much of a commitment would Poppy be willing to make? Would she be willing to go full Bad Bunny and bust her ass to make it happen? It's an interesting question. But let's get to the match itself. Who you got winning this one and why? Who do I have winning or who do I want to win? Because it's two different answers. Why not both then? <laughs> who do I want to win? The man who I think is the best wrestler in NXT right now. Pete Dunne. I would and not hate that. Especially when you hear the rumors of him doing this whole best technical wrestler thing. And the belief behind that is there's talks of a Daniel Bryan NXT appearance to confront Pete Dunne. I would I would absolutely love to see Pete Dunne, Daniel Bryan in an Ironman match for the NXT title at whatever NXT takeover they're going to do after this. That would be amazing. I just don't – I'm not necessarily sure that's going to happen. I, I would love it. I'm just not necessarily sold on it. For me, who I want to win, it's got to be Kyle O'Reilly because he's on that upward trajectory, and now you'll have the NXT title to go along 
with Adam Cole. The rivalry is still ongoing with Adam Cole. So that's kind of where I'm leaning on this. That's who I want to win. Now, who do you think is going to? Karrion Cross retains. That's kind of where I'm at, too. And the reason I think Karrion Cross retains is because I think it comes down to a point where O'Reilly has a chance to beat Cross for the title, but Cole costs him the match. And they end up taking each other out of the picture, which leads to Cross yeah. pinning most likely Gargano yep. or Pete Dunne. I think it's got to be. I think Gargano's your fall guy here because I you, you can't hurt the momentum of Adam Cole or Kyle O'Reilly because I feel like they're, they're this feud's going to go on for a while, and you'll see that'd be a subplot for a good while in NXT. Maybe have them in a number one contenders match down the road to where. Kyle O'Reilly finally gets one over on Adam Cole in a straight-up one-on-one, and then he beats Karen Cross clean as a whistle. Dunn just can't – I think Dunn is the same way, where you can't hurt, you can't risk hurting his shine a little bit. Gargano can take a pinfall, and nobody's going to think anything of it, right? Yeah, Gargano can take a pinfall, act like an ass next Tuesday on NXT, and get his heat right back. Yeah. Uh, one could argue that Gargano's Teflon when it comes to booking. I can definitely nothing see that. Stick, n- nothing sticks to the dude. And it, it's been impressive to see how much he's been able to just be, like, not not be hurt by some bad booking, especially, like, since NXT's going to this weekly instead of, oh, hey, we're going to tape, like, several weeks of the show and we're able to commit towards long-term booking like NXT used to be. This era of NXT, we've seen a lot of inconsistent booking and some guys maybe losing and, and having like losing a lot of their heat maybe than in years past. He's coming back for you though. <laughs> no, the thing with Gar- the, the, the the major thing for Gargano for me is going to be a situation of Gargano's another one of those guys where what's left for him to do? I think he's just he's just going to be to me. And it's I think it's more of what we've heard about Gargano. I don't think he'll ever be a main roster guy. He's going to be that gatekeeper. He's going to be that guy that always will be the determining factor of whether or not you are going to be like a top star, NXT champion, contender, and being a big name on the main roster. Or you're not like he's going to be that that gatekeeper that's going to get you towards a title shot for the NXT title. So Gargano's X Pac is what you're saying. I'd say yeah, like Gargano to a certain extent is X Pac, and that's a good thing because I think Gargano's hands down like he's been one of my favorite wrestlers, technical wrestling, everything. And I feel like you can you can have him lose a pinfall and have him stick in the black and yellow brand for a good while because yes, there's not much else left to do for him, but. In the land of the Giants that is the main roster, Gargano doesn't, and I hate to say it, he doesn't measure up comparatively speaking. No, uh, Gargano's like five foot nine and like 170 pounds. It, it speaks to my point. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. The thing for Gargano would be is I feel like Gargano could possibly have a run with Austin Theory towards the tag team titles, and that could be a way to go there. But I think they've already kind of teased the next direction of the tag team titles with everything they're doing with the GYV. And the Grizzly Young Vets have been putting out, putting in work. I'm a huge fan of Zach Gibson and James Drake, specifically Gibson. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that I am a major Liverpool FC fan as well. 
Oh, boo. I'm, I'm a man you guy. <laughs> yeah, how that a... How that uh, how that Europa League final work out for you guys? Don't, yeah, yeah, don't remind me about that. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. At least, at least, at least USA won. They did beat, they did beat out Tree in the Concacaf finals. That is true. Yeah, they, they did beat Mexico, and that, that's that's all that's all that matters right now. Because we we got twenty twenty one. We got next season coming up before you know it with Man U. We'll, we'll we'll save that for later. Before I let you go, man, go ahead, plug plug your podcast and everything else you got going on, brother. All right. Uh, the reaction is most Monday nights. We've been off for the last two weeks due to some personal issues. However, we hope to return for the go home to Hell in a Cell. Oh, I thought it was just because the reaction pot. I mean, Monday Night Raw has been absolute garbage. I thought that's why you were taking time off. <laughs> Tony had some personal issues, so gotcha. we're giving him some time to recover, and then we're hoping to be back this Monday for the go home for Hell in a Cell on the Chairshot Radio Network every Monday night live at 11.30 p.m. It gets posted to the Chairshot website usually Tuesday afternoon-ish. If you want to check it out then, we cover both Raw and SmackDown on there. The football show is currently on hiatus due to the fact that we are in the yep. midst of the off season. However, I believe Eric Watkins and myself will be doing a news desk version of the kickoff soon over on the W2M network. And as an added bonus, um, you've heard me preview NXT TakeOver here with CD on – is it under the dome? Cajun Strong like, Style. Cajun Strong Style. Cajun Strong Style, which is a sub-product of the Under the Dome show. Well, I mean, I'd say Cajun Strong Style technically is part of the 103.7 The Game family, much like Under the Dome. It's just part of – all right, it's part of the Clint Doming, like, radio universe. Uh, like, we're going to call it, like, the, the DC universe. Let's, let's make it something like that. Fair enough. Um, you heard me preview NXT TakeOver here on Cajun Strong Style, yep. part of 103.7 The Game. You can hear me review NXT TakeOver with Mark Rattledge as part of the Mark Rattledge and Broadcasting Network. We will re- be recording the NXT TakeOver review on the 16th of June, which I believe is a week from today, so next yep. Wednesday. Once again, I appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road once we get to another NXT TakeOver. Hopefully it's not in your house. It's definitely not in my house. Hopefully it's somebody else's house. It'll be at Todd Pettengill's house. We're all invited. Bring chips. <laughs> Todd Pettengill needs to come back for this. Once again, I appreciate it, brother. Good talking to you, CD. All right, that was the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And make sure, if you have the time, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe to us on all the great podcast gimmicks we got. And trust me, we are on a lot of them. Until then, talk to you later. <laughs>